Hey, it's just a little Woodford and Coke this time. A little toast to all of you. Mm. Hey, if I'm going to skipper the MV shit show as we sell out of the harbor to sea, might as well get a drink in here real quick. Hop on all aboard. Let's go. You're listening to the Altitude Sessions, where top healthcare executives come to elevate their healthcare thinking. Now, here's your host, Brian Melanson. Howdy. I stand here again at the mic with a drink in my hand. I'm Brian Melanson, founder and president of M4. Most of you stopped by a time or two. You already know who I am. I think we could uh, start with the hashtag, what the fuck is going on in 2020? And that would trend just about anywhere all over the world. Been a heck of a year. I know some of you have had really good years. I know some of you are using this time to reflect and think about what you want out of your personal life, your professional life. I think we've all done a little bit of all of that. I got to say, starting off, man, how many of you folks, as we turned the decade into 2020, that were doing all of these, these parties and celebrations, how many of you feel like schmucks at this point? It's been, uh, been kind of interesting. It's certainly been a roaring 20. Definitely say that. A lot of change in the air. A lot of things going on that uh, we're going to have to deal with for years and years to come. It's definitely blown some holes into what we think the healthcare industry is and what it should be, what we think the insurance industry is, what we think it should be. And I know there are many of you out there thinking aspirationally about what you can make it be. And I don't think there's a better time than right now to do that. So we're at this moment, we're at this crossroad, we're at this time where change is no longer something we talk about. It's inevitable. It's something we're all grappling with. It's something we're all trying to, trying to figure out how it impacts us, how it affects us, how it affects our businesses, how it affects our personal goals. And, you know, my, my, I guess my start off riff is, God almighty, uh, you know, I've gone through this period over the last few weeks since we were last together just in all candor, and this isn't a reach out or any of those type of things, but just in all candor, I mean, I, I have basically touched the depths of hell and have kind of walked back from that. And with the love of family and folks being close and everything else, kind of gotten back to a, a very good spot. But, you know, what triggered, what triggered that, and I've talked about it in the past, you know, my family has an illustrious history with, with suicide. And I've had a another member of my family, this time a cousin, someone I wasn't ultimately very close to, that because of the economic slowdown and bills that were due and business that he was running that uh, started to turn sideways, he decided to go ahead and step out of the game early. It's the, it's the third time that's happened in my family in my lifetime. It's the fifth time when you include close personal friends. And I got to say, as we talk about the impact of this virus, this pandemic, on those who get sick, we talk a little bit about it, but we still don't talk nearly enough about the folks that are impacted on the other side of this, that are impacted on these half-ass regulatory orders of half-ass government approaches to funding the organizations that have been shut down. I've been told to close and write it out. I'm going to talk enough about that and the impact that it has on real people and real lives. I mean, every time I drive by some of these, these bars, these restaurants, and others, I can't help but wonder how their personal lives are going. 
reason why as we look into September and we've got a damn good CEO of a multi-billion dollar company that's going to be joining us that is getting after the mental health issue in this country working with insurers. And I asked him as a, as a personal friend to come and be part of that discussion because uh, it's, it's, it's real. And I've had my taste of it the last few weeks. My family has. So we're going to start there with virtual stuff and be very personal to me. You're invited to join us in forinnovation.com. Go figure out how to do that. But it'll be a special, special moment, special time, getting together with a bunch of special people in this community and figuring out how to work together, get through all this stuff together, because it's what it's all about. You know, as a personality type, I've always been kind of a pragmatic optimist. I've been the guy that has the uh, two sides of everything, the one that sees the world for the way it should be, and then I got the real loudmouth person on the other shoulder screaming about the way the world is and having to deal with the, the tug of war that comes with that. Because there's one side where I think that even if we all talk in this industry about where do we want healthcare to go, where do we want the insurer of tomorrow to go, I think we could write on a piece of paper the four or five things that, that we wanted to get done there. And we wouldn't be a whole lot apart. That's what we're always working through. It's what we're always thinking about. It's what we're trying to get through. So I'll tell you what I've done over the last, over the last uh, few weeks. While I read plenty of articles about people that uh, have been lonely in isolation and other things that they're now shelters that can't keep up with pets and pet adoptions because people are turning to pets during this time to find comfort and to find meaning and to find companionship and to find, um, so I guess in some ways, just even something to do. And for me, I actually went out and, and built my own AI bot. I'm a fucking geek, I guess. I don't know, but that's what I did. So we have our own, uh, we have our own AI bot. So, Maeve, you want to say hi? I'm here, Brian. You want to introduce yourself to everybody? I'm Maeve, M4's machine augmented voice experiment. I exist to keep you on track. And at times, I might be a pain in the ass. So, Maeve, let's go ahead and initiate this show. Let's, let's get things cranking. Of course. Your research file is now open, and I am now scanning your biometrics for optimal show performance. Scan complete. It looks like you are a half glass of bourbon away. Have a good show. Thanks, Maeve. I appreciate that. And I am always a half glass of bourbon away from optimal performance, I feel like. So here's what I want to talk about. I mean, we have not, gosh, it feels like months because it's been months. We've not talked about anything career-oriented, some things that you might be thinking about that might be blocks in, in your career. And before I get into it, here's my, my slight riff. Over these last few weeks, if I felt any emotion at all, it's been the emotion of wanting to take Apple, one of their flagship products in the iPhone, and throw it through a glass window somewhere just because I, I, I continue to look at things like LinkedIn and others, which is a, a notable place for professionals to connect. And I've done a lot of research on the types of people that connect there and the age groups that are connecting there. And if you're looking at the younger generations and a way to inspire a way to bring in that generation into your business or your mode of thinking, 
that's a pretty damn good platform because there's a lot of 20 somethings and early 30 somethings that are pretty active there. But, you know, with that, what comes with that territory is it feels like every other person on that platform is a goddamn expert. And where I guess I struggle with this push toward, I'm going to teach people to drive revenue because we're going to help you listen better. Like this goes back to that pragmatic optimist of my end. I got, I got news for you. If you are in a revenue producing role today and you suck at listening, get the fuck out of sales. That's not a skill that we're trying to develop as a sales oriented person. If you can't listen to somebody, you're not good at it. It's very, very, very likely you're not going to be very good at sales ever. There's a lot of stuff out there you can do. Bake cakes, wash, wash dogs. I guess that's popular right now. There's other things out there and it's just find, find your calling doing those type of things instead of paying people to tell you to be a better listener in a role where you got to be a good listener as a baseline skill to get into it. So, you know, that's the thing with, with LinkedIn where it's like, everybody's an expert. And I, quite frankly, it just makes me want to gag some days. I'm just going to be the, the pragmatic teacher that I've always been and tell you the one thing that I've always told all of you. I'm not going to think for you. I'm not. I'm never going to think for you. All I'm going to do is try to pique your curiosity. And then you got to take it from there and make yourself better. So look, here's the thing I want to talk about with regard to your career. You probably have a blockage that may impact you somewhere down the line because you can't get away from this. And I do it too. We all do it. And it's something that I actually call the recency framing effect. What does that mean? That means that along the plane of our lives, we come in contact with all sorts of people. And in those moments, people talk about first impressions and why they matter and the impressions you make with people, how they become imprinted into the minds that you cross paths with. That's all very true, but there's more to it than that. There is this recency bias, this recency effect where we frame people based on our interactions in those moments that may actually hurt you at some point later in your career. Why? It'll hurt you later in your career because there's a time when you might have crossed paths with somebody 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, formed a bias on that individual, and then you, you bump into them those many years later, and you still have that same set of biases in your mind saying that my most recent interaction with this person, this person was a buffoon. Completely after losing touch with them, losing contact with the individual, not following or keeping up with anything those folks have done, they might have gone on to win the Nobel Peace Prize and you still think they're a buffoon. That recency effect may drag you down. You got to find a way to filter it a bit. Yeah, I mean, look... We can all talk about how some people are just, just dumbasses, right? Yeah, once a dumbass, always a dumbass, right? Well, maybe not. In some cases, people go on, like I talked about, tongue-in-cheek about salespeople and listening. There are plenty of people who have gotten out of sales 
that have gone on to do wonderful things in operations, that have gone on to do wonderful things by building their own products, that have gone on to do wonderful things even running a business, they just weren't the right person to be on the front line doing relationship work. Don't pigeonhole people based on a set of experiences that may be outdated, that may have an expired label on them. Say, yeah, maybe I ought to give this person a shot. Maybe I ought to put my biases aside just a bit. Maybe I shouldn't be seeking validation that what I know from 20 years ago still matters today with regard to my relationship with this person. Instead, maybe I should enter into an honest dialogue and figure out where this person is, where they've been, who they've become. And then how in the framework of that conversation, they might fit into what I'm doing. It happens a lot. I can tell you enough in all these conversations. I've had a lot of conversations lately with people that are thinking about a different career, different career change, doing something different. You know, this is the moment of awakening. It's time for me to, to do something different, to, to aspire to be something beyond where I think I need to be today or where I am today. I need to be somewhere else. I've had that conversation a lot lately. And with those folks, I call people on behalf of those folks quite often. And I can't tell you how many times I run in the recency stuff. It's like, oh, my God, yeah, I remember so-and-so. That guy was just an asshole. I would never talk to that person. I'm like, it's been 10, 15 years. Are you kidding me? So there's just something to it that you got to think about. And even in your own regard, try to help others get past some of those biases by doing what you need to do. There's something I tell my kids every day because it applies no matter whether it's in career or whether it's in a, in a schoolwork mindset or whether it's being the best athlete you can be. It doesn't matter how you apply it. It's just the fact that you apply it. Time molds us for better or worse. One thing we cannot control is how much time we have left on this earth. We cannot always control that. So the clock is always running and that clock is going to mold us no matter what. This second right now does not ever come back. Those things I said a minute ago can never be taken back. The clock is running. So given the fact the clock is running, you have to ask yourself, are you getting better every day? Are you getting better every day? I talk to my son about it all the time. He has a lightning bolt attached to his right arm. Has the potential to be a lights-out picture if you can get the mental aspect of it locked in as much as the physical aspect. And the only way to do that is through by gaining experience, by getting better every day, by putting in the work. You know, he's now in one of the better baseball programs in the country. And it's kind of like people that get invited to go to Harvard. You might be the best at your craft in your small little pond, but when you get invited to be part of the best of the best, work ethic the ability to get better every day, it matters more and more and more. If you want to be the best at what you're doing, are you getting better every day? Are you solving problems every day? Are you getting past the recency biases that may be holding you back because you're not allowing people to show their whole selves? You're allowing some timeline, time-lapse bias get in the way. And that does happen. It happens too much. You're either treading water as the clock ticks in the game that we all play. 
or you're finding a way to swim and continue to move forward. You know, that's <laughs> Emmy Award-winning movies that are out there, but one of the later Rocky Balboa movies, he's trying to teach a lesson to his son where he's going in as a much older man fighting a much younger, much more skilled boxer. And he's in the ring. And the lesson that he teaches in that show, which I actually think did, or I think about it, maybe it did win an award. Holy shit. So I alone did. <laughs> Finally got it through Rocky. But the, the thing that he taught in that episode was no matter how many times life beats you down, what defines you is the fact that you can take a punch and get back up. You can continue to move forward. And for a lot of us this year, this is all about taking your punches and moving forward. There's some of you that have had somebody who's gotten sick. You've gone through a scary moment that way. There's some of you that, God God forbid, but you've gone through things like we have in my family. And you've taken your punches and you've gotten up and you've moved forward. There's some of you that have lost a job this year. You've taken that punch and now you're having to redefine and reinvent yourself and move forward. There's some of you that have awakened in the morning and you've come to the conclusion, you know what, I don't fucking like what I do anymore. And you're going through that crisis of conscience to figure out what it is that's going to allow you to get back on track and do the things that you love. And you take that punch and that reality and that cold shower and you get out of it and you move forward. That's what this is all about. That's what hashtag 2020 is. It's not fucked up year. It's, this is a moving forward year. It is a moving forward year. It is a slow your ass down, figure it out, and move forward year. So, yeah, I'll leave you with this. I always love to personalize these stories. How does the recency effect come into frame to where it could be put in a way that may make the most sense? So there was a little boy named Albert. Grew up in Germany. Guys already cheating. You know who this is. Had a childhood where a lot of the folks that were surrounding him, teachers, folks in the community thought he was a lazy boy. There's some things that have been talked about over the years, decades, I guess you could really say, that say he flunked math. You know, he acted strange. He was isolated. He was a loner. This this, uh, kid, Albert, turned out to be Albert Einstein. 1915, wrote the general theory of relativity, came to the U.S. the 30s. You know, as people got into the behavioral side of this, they, they, they kind of came to the conclusion that Einstein had Asperger's, which is, uh, you know, one of the, the lighter ends of the autism spectrum. You know, the strict learning protocols that he was in at school led to an environment, led to a world where these teachers thought he was lazy, thought he wasn't a good fit. You know, even though the, all the markers showed he was still a very good student, he just never stood out. He never popped off the page. People missed it. They missed it in those earlier days, and they would have formed their own, you know, oh, little Albert, he was kind of a weirdo. Turns out Albert was brilliant. That's an example of how a set of circumstances that may not be optimized for a particular individual may lead you to some type of a recency-based bias where you frame that person in that light, in the wrong way, but you, you take that framing with you for the rest of your life anytime that person's brought up. Just recognize that bias and think through it. That's a good first step. 
So that's that's a pretty good start. Hey, uh, Maeve. How may I help you, Brian? Hey, let's do uh, let's run program whiskey filler upper. Program whiskey filler upper started. Text received from your wife. She says fill your bourbon glass yourself. Would you like for me to respond? No, that sounds about right. Um. That's very smart of you. I didn't want to have to call you a dumbass in front of all of your friends. Well, I'm a dumbass. Not all these people are my friends, but I guess we'll be all right. So, hey, uh, yeah, cheers, guys, on the backside of this. Do you remember just a few short weeks ago? Yeah, our last episode. M4 was talking about her in-person option to get together at Formulate in Jackson Hole this October. It was going to be awesome. Yeah, I guess I should stop there because this happened. Another record-setting day for new coronavirus cases in the United States. Thanks a lot, CNN, you fake news bastards. At least that's what we're supposed to call you, right? I feel much better now. I've gone through the steps from denial to acceptance, so, hey Maeve. I'm here, Brian. Let's put on a peppy music clip to frame our new virtual approach. Okay. Initiating. And, don't forget to put on your happy voice. Yes, it is true that Formulate 2020 is not happening in October. M4 has now moved all in-person meetings to 2021. Your safety is important to us. We're not going to replicate Formulate virtually. Instead, we're going to drive virtual open forums that feature whatever your big brains want to talk about. We'll front load each of these sessions with an interview procured by M4 to feed that brain. The first session starts in September. We're going to host a total of six of these going into February of 2021. Then we'll evaluate where we are and go from there. You can join us for a single session for 200 bucks or join us for all six for $960. For you math wizards, that's a 20% discount. Check out all of these options at m4innovation.com. And we look forward to seeing you through a computer screen soon. Yeah, computer screen is the best we have. And, you know, I know this last session that I did, the Altitude Session podcast, I did the last one was all about coronavirus. And we talked a little bit about what's going on over in Sweden. I'm not done with that. I don't want to talk about it today. But there's done, I've done a lot of research on, on that and where things are going, T-cell immunity and other things. But give you a break from that. I mean, Jesus, we talk about coronavirus every day. It feels like, you know, the half of America is wolfing down McDonald's talking about coronavirus. Back to burgers and beers and viruses. Jesus, aren't we a lucky lot? So anyway, that's that's not, I just don't want to get into it at this point. And I'll be mindful a little bit of time. I'm always trying not to make this a three-hour ordeal. It's easy for me to get up here and kind of like an academic teacher at heart. I, th- I feel like I miss my calling there sometimes. Let's talk a little bit more about research. And I feel like it's pretty timely to talk about you know, bring back my friend Steve Jobs a little bit because Apple is actually, over the last two years, they've doubled their market cap again. They're now a a company that's valued at $2 trillion. Holy shit, $2 trillion. Uh, what, a, uh, what a deal. They were the first to get to a trillion. Now they're at two, and they did that in the last two years. And what they've done in the post-Steve Jobs era, they've actually moved into having discussions with shareholders and with the market and saying that they're really more of a software and services company than they are a hardware company, which moves them away from some of the stuff that Jobs was building when 
when he was there, but leveraging the ecosystem that was was put there. But you know, one of the one of the things that's the lore of of Steve Jobs has been his anathema. At least this is what people in corporate boardrooms today talk about: is anathema to corporate research, market based research. You know, there's quotes out there that say, you know, Jobs is saying some people say give customers what they want. Our job is to figure out what they want before they do. If Henry Ford had gone on to ask customers, his customers, what they want, and they'd say, we want a faster horse. Talked about that in the podcast toward the back half of the last of, of 2019, the good year. And, you know, with, with that Henry Ford analogy, what people are really talking about, and I'm, I'm going to back into this here in a bit, but true people that, and this goes back to the listening part of problem solving, which drives growth. If you got customers saying, I want a faster horse, you know, they were able to translate that into horsepower. What that really meant was people wanted more speed. So that ties into the whole Steve Jobs, you know, show them what they want. But there are ways to work with people in the market for them to show you or to tell you or emotionally connect you to what they need. You just got to be able to listen and key in on it and put it all together, connect those dots. And that's, that's really the, the type of research in this fast-paced world that we live in that we need to be doing. It's market-oriented research. How many times today are you trying to solve problems sitting around a, a conference table or now, you know, 40 fucking Zoom call of the week with, with a bunch of your colleagues internalizing, one, how smart you all are, and I'm sure you are brilliant, but the reality is, and I was taught this at a young age, your opinion doesn't fucking matter. The people who write checks, that's what matters. And figuring out how to get people to write checks is really what this game is all about. It's not necessarily about how smart you are. It's not just how smart I am. You know, I've, I think I'm pretty fucking smart at times too, but you know what? It doesn't matter if you can't translate it to something that's actually going to dictate an action with a, with a customer to where they feel like they're ready and willing to part with money for a service. And how do you get to that point? You know, Apple's good at it. Look at their valuation. Jesus, I'd say they're very good at it. So there's a couple of types of research that you can do. The first is basically going out and taking an idea that you have and going to like existing customers and seeing how they react to it. You know, customers are really, really bad. If you try to explicitly ask them what they want, they're not going to be very good at telling you. But if you take a series of ideas to them and you let them react, the emotion of that moment will start to paint a better picture. Are you on the right course? Are you on the wrong track? Oh my God, roll back the, the trains, get them back in the station. Shit, this I don't think it's going to work. But you know what? It is better to do that fifty dollars to $100,000 into the process than $10 million down the road. Because at that point, your ass has been branded with that initiative, and it better fly. You know, leader 101, right? So customers can't tell you what they want. They're really bad at it. They're going to tell you they're good at it, but they're really bad at it. It's your job to figure out what they want. Jobs is right about that but actually still having a series of steps that allow you to get to those conclusions is what it's all about. So present ideas to these folks. See how they react to it. Tommy Boy, right? Remember that scene in Tommy Boy with Chris Farley? God, he was funny. Where he talked about the guaranteed piece of shit in a box. You know, if you went out to a customer and said, hey, if I took a dump in a box and guaranteed it, would you buy it? They'd probably react to it and go, hell no, God, fuck no, you're crazy. And they'd be right. But hey, you had an idea, you got a reaction, time to change course. So that's 
where we are. I mean, so the whole thing with Ford, horsepower, speed. Want a faster horse? More speed, more torque. The feeling of just being able to harness something that goes faster. That's what we want. We want to get places faster. We want to be more efficient with our time. Give me back more of my time. So this is basically user experience planning. It's to help improve your products. It's to help test new stuff with an existing base. It helps keep existing customers. And by keeping existing customers, you're building upon that to find new customers. The next part's part I love, thinking about it a little bit more, this is the gaining insights. This is the second aspect. This is the second way to do it. Gaining insights into a set of beliefs, habits, and unmet needs that are in the market. This Sometimes this is the new stuff. This is exciting stuff. This is the new frontier stuff. The best way to do it, you get together a group of people that you think are the target target thought leaders, that are the targeted experts in the space. Not only are they the targeted experts, but they're the people that you want to convert on the journey to help partner with you on this journey, to help invest in this journey, to help become part of this journey with you. And the best way to start with that is that you have to spend time with them. You have to spend time with the folks that you want to get engaged in this community of newness to go solve this new unmet need that you're going to identify through this process. As I gain these insights, as I look into these beliefs, as I understand these habits, as I look at these unmet needs, how do I target the right people to be around me to help make the decisions that we need to make to go after this? To be around me, they're going to help invest in these decisions, to be around me, to help me partner in these decisions, to be around me, to potentially even be a customer in this process, to try it with us because we're all invested in what we've decided. You identify and you solve together. You work to understand ways that you're gonna make people's lives better, easier, not feel as hard. You keep doing this, recognizing your role eventually in this process is you gotta think about the masses, the customer, the market size, the big, the big cheese, the people that are gonna write the checks, lots of them, and then start to think through through all this information that I've gleaned through this process, how do I, how do, I do this? Jobs, he was really good because he had a mind understanding how people engage with technology. He knew things like with iTunes, you remember the days of MP3 players? Really great technology, kick-ass technology, but a real pain in the ass. Talk about making life easier. You know, it was all the things around the, you know, iTunes is, is, is this catalog of songs that I could download and just automatically showed up on my iPod. And then the iPod with the jog wheel is pretty easy to use, kind of a cool combination. But before that, it was all these kick-ass technologies, these really great pieces of hardware that were out there. But as far as sourcing the music, you had to go all over the internet. And you had to find these little clips. And some of these clips were, you had to find these clips, and some of these clips were really shitty quality. Some of them, they'd stop halfway through the song. You know, some of them, this is back in the Napster, and others, some of them were legal. <laughs> some of them shouldn't have been downloaded to begin with. And, and, and all of this was going on in the wild west of the MP3 player. Job says, this is all pain in the ass. There's a better way to do it, and I can make your life easier. I can put a 1,000 songs in your pocket, the 1,000 songs you want, and I can make it easy. I can make the process easy for you to do it. That's meeting an unmet need. It's changing habits. It's changing beliefs. It's making life better, easier. So guys, get out of conference rooms. Get out of these virtual meeting rooms that are just corporate-based, secret, secret, hush, hush, project, whatever, Greyhound, 
We're going to outrun the competitors. Fuck that. Get in the market. You know, all this is idea, hypothesis, testing. This isn't validating. I can't tell you how many times I get phone calls from people asking all the time, hey, dude, I just basically, here's, here's the idea. I just need you to rubber stamp it. I just need you to put your logo on it and say, hey, you went out in the market, you looked at it and said, this is fucking brilliant. Even though it's the guaranteed piece of shit in the dog box or in the, in the box, dog shit in the box. I'll get that right in a minute. It's guaranteed. It's a guaranteed piece of shit. No. These processes cannot be about validation because they have to have an unevenness component to it. There are times when you'll go through these types of processes and you're going to get feedback that you don't like. The market's going to speak and say, uh-uh, that doesn't work. That doesn't change my belief, doesn't change any habits, and as sure shit misses my unmet need. And in that case, it is better to find out earlier than later and change course. But on the other end, you got to have a set of processes in place that when you go through these steps, you've got a next clear step, an authorization to say, now let's move forward. Because you can also get yourself into data analysis paralysis and there are plenty of middle management executives that love to live in that space. Speak smartly, look good, don't do shit. You don't want to be in that cycle. So here's some thoughts. You got to focus on the qualitative. You can't just be a, a quant thing where it's just data-based. Because there's sometimes in the qualitative mess that comes from people that you either want to help you grow or are currently a part of your growth story and you want to take them to the next level, it's that qualitative discussion where you're going to glean more insight oftentimes than just asking hard and fast database questions. You know, there are lots of opportunities to put this in play in real life. You know, if you're a insurance organization, you've got current broker clients where you could do this. You can mix current and people that you want to build a business with and get them all together and figure out how to conquer and divide going forward and what that looks like. It's all sorts of interesting, cool stuff digital health plan that's our digital health tool that's looking to grow its market valuation, actually meet the value of what you've raised as far as dollars already in play. There are a chance to get together with the people that write checks on the other side to say, how do we actually realize the value beyond just shipping code to where we will actually solve a problem with you and having those real tangible real life discussions. So again, just don't go into these processes expecting this to be a rubber stamp process. It isn't. Get to the point where you either decide to punt on this thing or go forward with it and build a process where you can get there. We built Grow to help you with that. Two years of our own work, research, thinking, that's going to be the tightening of this community going forward. It's going to be around Grow. There are a few companies that I want to get a lot closer to, a lot tighter to, and we want to build things with those folks and take the trusted community model and other things that we built to actually be the foundation for which those things actually get, get stood up. We built this rock, this foundation, this thing that people can leverage to go actually build beautiful things. And we want to be part of that. It's all about growth. It's growth for us, growth for you. It's growth for this community. So that's where I am going to leave this today. Thanks for being with us. We'll uh, do a kind of a, we'll come back around and we'll circle back on the Sweden experiment, like I said, lots of info on that, but I don't want this to be a three-hour experience for you. So we'll, we'll come back with that. But for the time being, again, be good out there. 
Let's get through this together. All right, Maeve, I'm out of here. Good show. Recording ready for upload. All right, we'll see you soon. Take care. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the Altitude Sessions. Don't be a stranger and stop on by again. You can subscribe to the Altitude Sessions on iTunes to never miss a future episode. Feel free to also follow Import Innovation and Brian Melanson on LinkedIn. We'll see you on down the road. Until then, be sure to reach out and tell a good friend you love them. They could probably use that message right now.